Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Investing from A to Z podcast. I'm your host, Steph Bodrini. We provide straightforward information by bringing excellent guests with real-world experience in all topics related to commercial real estate investing. And in today's episode, we're continuing our conversation with Catherine East. We're continuing the conversation on how to underwrite a self-storage facility, how many different management styles are there, what does the bank want to see from you, and how to talk to brokers. Catherine is the founder of Sopapta Consulting Management and Auditing. She has several years of experience in the self-storage space. Here we go. How many different management styles do you think there are? There's too many. (laughs) There's three. You can go with a third-party management company. Big or small, you're still going to have to add that in there. You can go with a consulting firm that basically comes in, sets everything up, teaches you how to do it, and then walks away after a time. Then you're on your own to make sure it stays the way it should be. Or you can do what's called an unmanned property. Unmanned properties are not really unmanned. You still have to have a boots on the ground person, but it's generally significantly less expensive than doing a consulting fee or doing a third-party management company. And some of these smaller broker OMs, you actually won't be able to apply a full-time manager to because it's outside of the 35% that you're trying to underwrite the expenses for. Because if we're looking at it from an expense perspective, Typically, that's one of the first largest expenses that you have. Now, when we're choosing management styles, we have to be careful to understand what is actually happening in that market at your true competitors. If every single competitor of yours has somebody in their office from nine to five, Monday through Saturday, you may have to do that as well in order to keep yourself relevant in that market. You know, we did try one market that way. Fortunately, it worked out really well. And it was probably one of the toughest markets I've ever been in. Uh, And it was one of the first markets I tried the unmanned styling because I wanted to know every single competitor that we had had somebody in their office all the time. But they were all 100% full. Just thinking to myself, right, you're spending a minimum of 30,000 a year for a full-time employee to do what? To really stand there and just kind of pick their nose. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I'm just like, this is obscene. Why are we doing this? So we did work through and tried that model and was very successful. So now I'm practically implementing that in every single facility that a client brings my way. So that's always important to understand because that will directly affect your underwriting. Exactly. Always. Especially as you go to send those numbers to the bank. Oh, yeah. bank wants to see that you have a clear operating formula in order to make this place successful. Got to be able to show the bank you can do what you say you're going to do. So, and the unmanned management style is being quite a bit more accepted now. So now I've decided that I'm going to do an unmanned. So I underwrite my true expenses. So I've got my, this is what's happened currently, which generated my, this is what, this is what I can give you for your property. Then I've got my year one with add value, underwriting to 35% expense ratio and underwriting conservatively to those rate increases. Then I've got a third set. And the third set is more realistic to the market. 
the good news is, is that when you're going to a bank, what they want to see are underwriting towards guidelines. So their guidelines are you can increase GPRI up to a certain percentage in this market, which you can back up with data from store track websites. You can back up the data that shows that your GPR is going to be this. What you can't do is back up data to show them that your expense ratio is going to be less than 35% because that's what they use as a norm. That third set of books or numbers in this case is going to be for you. So that you, you've got right now case scenario, worst case scenario, and now you've got your best case scenario. You're not sending that one out to investors. You're not sending that out to anyone else. This is just what you believe you can do. So now I've gotten my third set and said, okay, so this is what I've got. Now, when I go back to that broker OM and then go back to that broker and I say, okay, broker, I've given you the price point that I would give. This is what I would give based on the numbers that you provided. So I've given them an LOI and I've said, this is how much I'm going to give you. When they come back to me, because they will, with a counter offer, I use my second set of numbers, which is underwritten to the bank. So I know that I can create and add value for raising rates, tenant insurance, other sources of ad value income, but I still have that 35% expense ratio sitting there. I have to go room. So let's say that I valued, they wanted 2.4. I valued it at 1.7 based on their own numbers. But in my second set, I actually can do up to 2.1. I'm reaching DSCR, which is that service coverage ratio of 1.25. I'm reaching, maybe I have 400,000 that I have to invest based on 10 or 20% down, depending on what type of loan you're going to apply. I can do that myself, or if I have to have investors, my cash on cash return and my IRR are working in my favor. That's how you underwrite a facility from a broker, period. That's it. There's no there's no bells, whistles, skips, turns, any of that. It literally is that easy. Now, I say it's that easy, but you have to have the tools in which to do that. It's not a willy-nilly process where you're looking at the broker OM and you're like, well, they want 2.4, so I'll offer 1.7. You need to be able to back up what you're offering. So you do have to have certain types of tools in order to do that. I've given you some website names for the market but you need to have what's called a valuator or a CRE model, something of that nature, which actually allows you to input the numbers and then work through your purchase to make sure that you have the right percentages in there before you hand it to a broker or a bank. Because some brokers do ask, where did you come up with this? And so you have to be able to educate them. This is how I came up with this. Based on what you told me, you're trying to sell it to me at 85% occupied, but your economic occupancy is 60. I'm not going to pay you for what you didn't do with that facility. So we're going to go with your 60% economic occupancy, which means it's 1.7, not 2.4. Right. And what do they say when you, when you go over that? Well, if it's an experienced self-storage broker, generally they'll come back with, I absolutely un understand what you're saying. However, this facility is not using the right kind of website. They're not really promoting themselves very well. There's delinquency that you could clear up. Okay, you said it right there for me, Mr. or Mrs. Broker. 
I have to do it. So why would I pay your client for what they did not do? That makes perfect sense to me. I'm like, wait a minute. I, I get what you're saying. Or they'll say, well, I've done a market research on this property as you can see in my OM, based on my pro forma numbers in year one, and you could bring it to this value, which means it'll actually exceed the purchase price in year one. I'll say, great. Why didn't you have your client do that? (laughs) I love it. So if you're telling me that you're going to sell me this property at a price point that's less than if you would just have instructed that client to do what you state they can do, why are you selling it? You're selling it, you're selling it short and you're ultimately affecting your clients. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, they, they can project. It's like having a crystal ball in your hand. Sometimes it's what it feels like when we're projecting out to exit strategies of three to five years, because realistically, do I know what cap rates or interest rates are going to be in three to five years? Of course I don't. I have no idea what those are going to look like. All I know is, is this asset class is in a cycle. We were at the top of that cycle six months ago, and now we're going back down. And guess what? We'll go back up. And so a lot of times brokers, after I've said to them, well, Mr. and Mrs. Broker, if you know it can do this, why not instruct your client to do that and relist it after six months of implementing your ideas that created this pro forma because they want to sell it now. Fair enough. Then the now price is (laughs) 1.7. I love it. And brokers are actually really nice. Like I've never gotten on the phone with a broker and yeah. felt disrespected or, or or disrespected them. It's not like that. Yeah, totally. Uh, if it's not a self-storage broker, your goal isn't to offend with your underwriting. It's to educate. Exactly. So, yeah. So it, it's a give and take relationship when you're a buyer versus a seller. So that's what we're looking at. I always think, and I wish that I could say that there's this huge, long process about it. And learning it, yes, takes time. So where it might take you three hours to underwrite something to where you feel comfortable with it, writing an LOI, it take me 20 minutes. But I've been doing this for years. So I've kind of perfected the way I'm looking at it. But to be clear, Stephanie, I learn new things every single day about the underwriting process. Broker OMs just make it easier because they've done a lot of the legwork for you. So just reading that offering memorandum, looking at those pictures, getting a good visual identity of what that property looks like currently, that's all it's about. Exactly. Uh, And this is just the beginning also, right? You have questions that you ask the broker after you determine if this is a good potential or not and the due diligence process and getting the loan, closing, and then uh, managing the property after you buy it. So this is the very first (laughs) step. Yes, and today we decided we were only going to discuss how to underwrite a broker OM. Again, you trust but verify no matter how you're looking at it. Trust the broker that they did the legwork, that they have the right information, but always verify through your own systems as to whether or not that's actually true. So that's the simple process. The hard process is then the questions that you need to ask them. Why is the seller selling? How motivated is that seller? What type of inspections or surveys or information can you provide to me right now that you've already done for the seller? In in some cases, they'll say, well, so we do have a, a current Alta survey. We have a phase one that they did when they bought the property. 
And so those things you're going to need to collect from them once they've accepted your LOI, even though that doesn't start your due diligence period. But if they say they have it, go ahead and get it. That way, when you make your purchase agreement, because an LOI is only good for 10 days, so you're writing up a purchase agreement in 10 days to give to the seller so they can sign. In that purchase agreement, you're going to have all of these conditions and stipulations as to why you're representing this price and this is how they're actually going to get it. Because by all of these things being true to the best of their knowledge, and if they're not, contingencies could kill your deal. Or it's renegotiating long, time. Yes, it's a renegotiating time, which a lot of times now we see in uh, PSAs, that's what we call them as PSAs, purchase sales agreements. A lot of times we'll see that it'll there'll be an automatic extension for certain types of contingencies. Like if we can't get a phase one in, in 30 days. So we'll say, okay, if we, if we don't have it by the end of 30 days, we'll automatically extend it 14 days for, sure. to allow for the results. Because sure. a phase one could note that you got to have a phase two, which is going to be an additional six weeks. If it's me, I'm underwriting due diligence for 45 days and then closing 45 days later. So it's a 90 day process. Okay. That way I've got time to get all of my reports in, get my financing under control, get my investors on board if I need them. And I've already deciphered the OM for them, sent it over in a pretty little package and they know what they're getting. Wow. What a great beginning on the self-storage journey. Thank you so much, Catherine. How can our listeners get in touch with you? I'm Catherine East. You can get a hold of me on LinkedIn by just typing in Catherine East. You can email me at sopapta21 at gmail.com, which is S-O-P-A-P-2-1 at gmail.com. Or you can text me at 314-596-6542. As Stephanie can attest to, a text message will get you a response way faster than an email. Just say. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Catherine. I really appreciate your time. Absolutely, Stephanie, anytime. Make sure to subscribe to our newsletter and future deals at monicarlorei.com. And I will see you next time.